Hawaii up for October 7th, 2005. Aloha and shalom. This is Hawaii up show number 27. My name's Ryan and mahalo anui loa. Thank you very much for listening. We're heading into a delicious long weekend today, and I gotta tell you, I need it. I'm pooped. Uh, since my last show, Jen and I put out two episodes of her spin-off podcast, the Lost Fan Podcast, The Transmission, um, and uh, it's been doing pretty well, frighteningly well. It's in the iTunes Top 100, uh, number 30 today. It brought my web server to its knees yesterday, but... You know, we're having fun, and that's the most important part. Uh, Jen's discovering the wonderful world of fan mail. Uh, She's a little internet celebrity now, so uh, that's great. But, you know, Hawaii Up, this show is my first love, and while being a fan of Lost is fun, doing your own thing is even better, and uh, while my poor web server has now decisively proven that a TV show is more interesting than I am, I definitely appreciate that you're still tuning in for this little taste of uh, island life. Um, So what have we got for the show this week? Well, Jen, for one, and with her lost addiction sufficiently sated, will turn to more varied pop culture fare from now on. We meet up with a good friend to talk food, uh, burgers to be exact, and I've got a soothing slack key treat from uh, the most unexpected of places. But first, let's see what's up in Hawaii. Let's do the news. It's time for... Hawaii Up Headlines, around Hawaii and around the house. First of all, an update on a wacky story I mentioned in the last show that's only gotten wackier. I'm talking, of course, about good old Beverly Harbin, the, quote, small business advocate, unquote, that uh, Governor Lingle appointed to replace a Democratic member of the state house, Uh, She turned out to not be much of a Democrat nor much of a business person. Folks found out that she had major tax problems, and uh, at the time the administration said, well, we only checked criminal records, not financial, but if we'd known about it, we wouldn't have given her the job. Well, folks, uh, it turns out that Harbin also did have a criminal record, a conviction for three counts for passing bad checks in 1987. Uh, why didn't Lingle's background check catch it? Uh, well, they forgot to check her former names when uh, she got that six-month suspended sentence. She was Beverly Endrizal. <laughs> Darn those women and their name changes. Uh, so now Lingle's gone from having egg on her face to the entire chicken coop, and the Democrats, who didn't want her in the first place, are now livid. You know, uh, Harbin went from just being a Republican spy to an outright political disaster. Um, And Lingle did publicly call on Harbin to quit, and Harbin just as publicly and quite ridiculously refused. So for now, Harbin does have an office at the Capitol, but nobody wants to visit her. Um, The Republicans are ashamed of her, the Democrats are disgusted at her, and the people that she's supposedly representing in the uh, downtown Kaka'ako area are none too happy to now have their interests completely lacking credible representation. Now, uh, this whole mess is Lingle's fault, and we're not going to forget that, but Harbin's uh, stubborn refusal to admit any wrongdoing would... uh, Well, it would be laughable if it wasn't so scary. Also scary is the fact that uh, nobody can do anything about it. Even though Lingle put her there, she can't take her out. 
There's uh, no recall provision in Hawaii law, or at least for state politicians. There is for the city, but although there have been attempts to put it into the state books, they've always died. Perhaps not after this, though. I think they'd have no trouble passing a recall law and calling it Harbin's Law. Um, The legislature can expel her uh, with a two-thirds vote, but only on the grounds of misconduct, disorderly behavior, or neglect of duty. And while I think a case can be made for uh, for that threshold, I can see that just quibbling over what qualifies as what transgression is just going to get even more ridiculous. And Harbin's just hanging on. I, I, I love politics in this town. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about the proposal to ban alcohol sales from Aloha Stadium. It was a campaign headed by uh, Lieutenant Governor Duke Iona, who basically needed a campaign. And it was also based in part on a few ugly incidents at home games in recent months. One of the complications to such a ban, though, was that the was all the existing contracts and sponsorships with beer companies inside the stadium, some of them running through 2011. Well, the geniuses at the stadium authority decided recently that they will they will ban alcohol, but just outside in the parking lot for tailgaters, but still allow beer to flow freely inside during the game. Which, of course, uh, suddenly turned the supposed public safety issue into one that was clearly about money. Um, And, of course, banning drinking during the huge tailgating parties would probably boost alcohol sales inside, right? Uh, Well, except, of course, folks were saying that, you know, they just wouldn't come to the games at all and drink at home or, you know, use cutting-edge stealth technologies like paper bags and opaque plastic cups. But uh, guess what? Even in making their ridiculous decision, the stadium authority made a a ridiculous mistake. They voted on this modified ban at the same meeting that it was proposed without uh, advance notice or public comment. And turns out that's a violation of our open government laws, our sunshine laws. So the vote is null and void. The ban uh, has to go back to the drawing board. And the next time that it can come up is October 27th, their next meeting. And uh, there's going to be after that a 50-day window for public hearings. And that basically puts a ban, in a best-case scenario, in December, which is after the last game this season. And that's only if public comments don't throw any wrinkles or significant objections, and it's a safe bet that they will. So beer will still flow freely at Aloha Stadium, in the parking lot, and in the stands. I just hope fans realize their good fortune in this goof-up and don't get stupid anymore. All right, uh, forget politics. How about golf? Michelle Wee is turning pro. You know, it's almost not news since folks have mused about this for years now, and uh, there were loud rumblings for weeks now. The cat was actually out of the bag last week when the press conference was scheduled. Uh, It was on Wednesday, set early in the morning, of course, so she could get back to school at Punahou. But, uh, well, you know, it's still big news because the combined deal uh, between Nike and Sony is... uh, easily worth over $10 million, and that basically makes this uh, 16-year-old, actually she's 15, she turns 16 next week, it makes her instantly the highest-paid female golfer in the world. And I think to uh, temper the hype somewhat, or, or maybe just to enhance it, actually, she also announced at that same press conference that she's donating half a million dollars to the Hurricane Katrina Relief Fund. Um, There are critics of the decision to go pro, of course. Uh, You know, she really hasn't won any major tournaments uh, at any level for for two years or so. She's she's very good, exceptional for her age, but uh, overall not, not great. You know, Tiger Woods racked up all kinds of wins on the amateur circuit before turning pro. 
But I think, you know, it's the it's clear that the strategy here is to strike while the iron is hot, to capitalize on, on, on her novelty, the it factor, as they say. You know, she creates the biggest buzz at any tournament she plays in, um, even if she doesn't win. And uh, she's on the cover of Fortune magazine this week. I mean, she, you know, she signed with William Morris as her agency. That is uh, not a sports company, but an entertainment one uh, where the strength is just general all-round celebrity, you know, not golf. Another uh, William Morris client is Serena Williams, is she the, the tennis star, but now she's also taking a shot at movies. So I think that there might be a long-range plan that uh, leaves a lot of room, you know, whether she follows the trajectory everyone predicts that she will and becomes the next Tiger Woods for golf, um, or, you know, if she does well, uh, makes a name for herself, but then moves on to build on that to pursue other things. She is staying in school, and she insists that she's also going to college for a business degree, although probably not. Uh, it won't be a four-year degree anymore. Um, the plan seems pretty slow and steady. She'll still use sponsor exemptions to play in major tournaments, uh, and then when she turns 18, she'll compete fully in the uh, LPGA on the level. Um, and in the meantime, you know, there's uh, probably going to be lots uh, more magazine covers, TV appearances, and splashy ad campaigns. So definitely, uh, congratulations, Michelle, and good luck. Some uh, sad news this week. Uh, beloved local actor Ray Bumatai died uh, on Thursday after a long battle with brain cancer. Ray Bumatai was the oldest of uh, was the oldest of six Bumatai kids, including comedian and entertainer Andy Bumatai. But as Andy told the Star Bulletin, uh, his older brother Ray went the real acting route. You know, Ray always did a lot of uh, theater in addition to films and TV. He did have uh, roles in just about every television show set in Hawaii, from Magnum P.I. to Baywatch, Jake and the Fat Man, uh, Raven, One West Waikiki. I'm not sure if anyone remembers some of those. We even saw him in NBC's very short-lived campy cop show, Hawaii, which I actually kind of liked. It was uh, during a run of a play, uh, I think a few years ago, that he started having trouble seeing, and he ended up uh, requiring surgery. But even after that, he jumped right back on, onto the stage in front of the camera. As recently as January, he was performing at Manoa Valley Theater. So uh, Ray Bumatai, uh, he was an underwater welder and an aspiring musician before he turned serious and became an actor, or not too serious an actor, of course. Um, he was 52 Finally, though, some good news. Uh, word came down this week that Facing the Future, that's Israel Kamakaviva Ole's insanely popular 1993 album, has gone platinum. That's, uh, that's over a million copies of the album sold. Uh, Brother Izza's music saw an incredible surge of popularity after his death in 1997, and his simple medley of Somewhere Over the Rainbow and What a Wonderful World was you know, pretty much playing all over the world uh, in movies, TV shows, several commercials. The song has actually almost taken up permanent residence in the uh, number one slot in the world music section of Apple's iTunes Music Store. Um, it was really only a matter of when, not if, uh, is when platinum. And uh, perhaps fittingly, the late musician is uh, the first Hawaiian artist to reach that milestone. It's amazing, you know, eight years after he left us, he's he's still everywhere and he's still touching people all over the world. Uh, things are pretty quiet on the home front. Uh, work is, is work. You know, I think I'm getting a handle on some of the new areas that I've been assigned to finally, so that's good. Katie's still doing the soccer thing. Zach's doing the the, the crazy manic toddler thing. And uh, Alex is doing the almost walking thing, almost. And uh, Jen, as you know, is now a, an internet superstar. 
Um, the Hawaii International Film Festival is on again, and today for the first time I actually went down there to check it out and actually ended up joining. Um, I might still not actually ever make it to see any movies, but now we'll get the newsletter. Um, the Hawaii International Film Festival is supposedly one of the better ones out there, actually, in part because of the strong representation of Asian and Eastern cinema. But uh, I'll admit the real reason for going down there was uh, to get tickets to a special seminar with the cast and crew of Lost. I tell you, we're hooked. Um, what else? Uh, this weekend is the Splendor of China Cultural Festival at the Neil Blaisdell Center. And actually, I'll be down there uh, on Sunday helping collect donations for the Red Cross. It's also uh, Family Sunday at Bishop Museum, so that's probably where Jen and the kids will end up. As for uh, Monday, the holiday that I forgot we had until recently, while well, I plan on, on sleeping and vegging out as much as possible. Okay, though, time for some melee, some music. You know, you find aloha in the most amazing places, like, uh, say, Honeyville, Utah, for example. James Kimo Watanabe is a slack key guitarist with roots and family here in Hawaii, from Kauai, in fact. Um, and he's now bringing the Hawaiian sound to a small town north of Salt Lake City. Very small, actually, population 1,400. But even there, the Aloha spirit thrives. There's a small group of locals who regularly get together and talk story and kani kapila. Just last week, in fact, Jake Shimabukuro was there doing a music workshop. Kimo has a deep affection for the classic Kihoalu sound, although he says he's trying to mix it up with some modern touches. A full album is far off on the horizon, but thanks to his cousin Kiolu, who found me, you don't have to wait. This song is called Malie, and it's by John Kimo Watanabe of Honeyville, Utah. A modern influence definitely flavors this piece, so see if you can catch it. It's just over three minutes long, so lean back, close your eyes, and enjoy.
That was Malie by John Kimo Watanabe. Definitely the best slack key guitarist in all of Honeyville, Utah, and quite possibly in parts far beyond. That was a, a gentle, uh, soothing piece, but you know, it was, uh, it found its genesis in a Beatles tune, Kimo said. Uh, did you catch a taste of In the Bleak Midwinter in there? Um, thanks, Kyolu, for dropping me a line, and thanks, Kimo, for uh, sharing an early taste of your music. Kimo is still putting together a website, but if you want to know more about this talented guy, you can actually write to him directly. He'd love the feedback. His email address is uh, kimo.watanabe at gmail.com. Last I heard from him a couple of days ago, he's actually going back into the studio now to record some more music, some originals as well as a few classics of Hawaiian music like uh, Nani Molokai and Hi'ilave. So if you want that album out sooner rather than later, you should drop him a line or email me at comments at hawaiiup.com and I'll get them to him. All right, let's check in with the wife. It's time once again for... The Pith of Pop, the podcast edition with my beautiful wife, Jen. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Hi. So, uh, first of all, congratulations on the successful launch of The Transmission. Thank you. Uh, I I think we're having fun. We are. It's a great time doing the show. Absolutely. But uh, it's also good to be able to turn our attention here to other things. So, Um, What's on your mind this week? Well, I want to do a top five list inspired by one of our Netflix movies from the last week. Uh, Which one? Repo Man. Oh, okay. And uh, what's the topic of the top five? L.A. movies. This is actually the first in a series. I want to do a New York list and a London list and, I don't know, um, other places. But for right now, we'll do an L.A. list. Okay, so... Uh, movies in Los Angeles. What's number five? Repo Man. Okay, definitely one of my favorite films from uh, well, from a few years ago. I, I I was actually kind of surprised that you wanted to see it. Well, you know, I I'd heard a lot of good things about it, and recently I was listening to Real Reviews, um, the podcast um, that Michael Gohagen hosts, and you know he mentioned it and he spoke of it very glowingly, um, and I was inspired to see it because he. Uh, he made a really odd observation that you should really watch it with a closed captioning on because there's lots of little things that you might not catch if you're not. Definitely. Um, you know, I watched the movie several times with my very best friend of all time, Nate, who you who you know. Hi, Nate. And uh, he, he's, he's an unusual character, probably the closest thing to a cartoon in, in, in human form. But um, when we watched it, there wasn't any of this closed captioning business. And sitting and watching it with you, there were a lot of things that were picked up and trans- translated in the background that I'd never heard before. Right. Like there's a scene in a hospital and, you know, on the intercom overhead, Somebody says, Mr. Lee, please return the scalpel. And that just cracked me up for right, hours. Right. So you really liked it? Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of dated. It was made in the early 80s. So, you know, there's a lot of music and, and fashion that you can tell is, is not really modern. But it's got a very cult kind of appeal. It's It's got a certain quirky sense of humor that appeals to a certain audience. Right. I mean, I wasn't sure at first that it was a comedy. It's it's comedy-ish. It's you know it does have a very bizarre sense of humor. It won't appeal to everybody, but I definitely liked it a lot. Uh, who was it? That had Emilio Estevez, right? Um, not very many famous faces. Harry Dean Stanton is in this film. That's right. That's right. 
um, I know him best as Andy's dad in Pretty in Pink. Mm-hmm. Um, Emilio Estevez was 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 him. You know, he 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 was fine for the character. And although I I guess I had blocked out of my mind, I probably didn't need to see him in his tidy whities again. No, no, me neither. <laughs> but uh, definitely a, a fun film. Uh, what was number four on your list? The Big Lebowski. Ah, a great film, a Coen Brothers film. Yeah, I love the Coen Brothers. I've seen pretty much everything they've done. Um, you know, you've got Fargo, Blood Simple, Intolerable Cruelty. You know, they've got so many different kinds of movies, but this is probably my favorite because, you know, you compare this movie to, say, Fargo. Fargo is very stark, very bleak, really gritty, kind of hard to watch. And you have um, The Big Lebowski, which is kind of fantastical and absurd and wacky. It's got these really strange fantasy sequences. Yeah, vaguely psychedelic, like uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall or something. And besides, you know, being kind of fantastical and strange, it's very highly quotable. Absolutely. Lots of catchphrases that you can use. Um, the, the dude abides. Oh, the dude abides. But, <laughs> um, and, you know, some great performances in this film. Yeah, Jeff Bridges nails the dude. He's just the perfect dude. I couldn't see anybody else in the part. And uh, John Turturro's in it as well. Yeah, well, he's, you know, he's kind of a Cohen's go-to guy. He's in a lot of the Cohen's movies, mm-hmm. but he's great. Now, it's funny that you mentioned this film because just recently you had pointed out there was a significant reference to The Big Lebowski on a cartoon. Right. My daughter loves this show called Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. I might have mentioned it before, but um, it's got the whole episode is kind of a parody of The Big Lebowski. Yeah, it was like one big uh, one big homage to uh, The Big Lebowski, but nobody in, in Katie's age group would even recognize those those references. Well, one hopes not anyway. <laughs> Okay, so what's your third favorite L.A. movie? Pulp Fiction. Oh, my gosh. Well, you talk about uh, quotable films. That's high up there. Yeah, um, it's it's wall-to-wall quotes that everybody knows and scenes that everybody remembers. I think it's kind of an iconic film. Um, it's incredibly violent, but if you're, you know, if you're a Tarantino fan, you've come to expect that from him anyway. Well, the film borrows heavily from uh, his earlier films. A lot of people kind of see it as he was, you know, kind of honing it down until he got to Pulp Fiction, which is almost too perfect. I mean, it had all the uh, incredible dialogue and, of course, the great music and the great cinematography and, and the great you know amounts of violence. But I kind of like the way that um, L.A. Is, is almost a secondary character. Absolutely. They make references to, to neighborhoods. And, you know, I don't really understand L.A., but somehow I kind of pick up on the significance of the layout and certain neighborhoods from the film. Right. Like Jules is from Englewood. And, and there's several other references. Now, uh, this was the film that was credited, for better or worse, to, uh, to bringing John Travolta back. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, there's it brought back Bruce Willis to a lesser degree, too. Um, in this movie, you'll also have Uma Thurman and Harvey Keitel, Ving Rhames. Um, and there's lots of faces like of character actors that you might not necessarily know their names, but you see them quite a bit in, in other films. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really just a collection of wonderful performances. And although I really don't think there's anyone who hasn't seen Pulp Fiction. Except your mom. That's right. That's right. I mean, I keep talking to her about how great it is, but um, I'm kind of afraid to watch it with her. Oh, I don't, definitely don't want to see this in front of your mom. I'd squirm. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, what was your second favorite Los Angeles film? Speed. Oh, my. Uh, Keanu Reeves in a bus. Keanu Reeves in a bus, yeah. So what's so great about Speed? Well, it's such a popcorn movie. It's just a, you know, it's an action movie, kind of a shoot 'em up But I think 
it's particularly well written for an action film and it's really exciting it's got great action sequences well i'd say it's exciting and fun i'm not sure if it's well written but it was definitely a movie that didn't take itself too seriously probably because keanu was in it and you know that kind of made it enjoyable it was a fun ride dennis hopper i think is the ultimate villain he just plays the best bad guy in every movie yeah, and, uh, you know, Jeff Daniels wasn't bad, and uh, the, the only thing I probably wasn't too fond of was What's-Her-Face. Oh, Sandra Bullock? I like Sandra Bullock. Okay, well, actually, I've kind of softened up on her lately as well. Um, well, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's a city bus in Los Angeles, so you see a lot of the city that way. Yeah, my favorite line from that is, I already seen the airport. <laughs> and uh, I, I think a lot of us have. I think... For most of us, if we're lucky, that's all we've seen of Los Angeles. <laughs> that's all I've seen of it. All right. Well, you're lucky then. And uh, finally, what was your favorite Los Angeles film of all time? Memento. Ah, Memento. That was uh, supposedly an art house flick that exploded with good reason. It's a great movie. It's a really great movie. I actually look for excuses to put this one on my top five list, but it's just, I think it's pretty close to brilliant. It's about a guy who is attacked by muggers in his house his wife is murdered and he basically goes on a revenge spree but the real uh, appeal of this film is that it's a gimmick film because it's uh, shown to you backwards and you, you you have to figure out what happened the other you know in the reverse right it's it's kind of a brain twister um but i think personally even when it's in chronological order when you can watch it in chronological order it's still a good movie well, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I really think that the, the gimmick was a big part of its appeal. I mean, the, when you get the DVD with a little Easter egg, you are allowed to watch the film spliced together, you know, beginning to end in chronological order. Actually, I thought it was fairly conventional that way. But uh, again, the gimmick works, and it, 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 it was definitely a standout that year. And Joey Pants is in it. Ah, yes, Joe Pantoliano. you got to love him. He's great. Okay, so what are your top five favorite all-time L.A. movies? Number five is Repo Man. Number four is The Big Lebowski. Number three is Pulp Fiction. Number two is Speed. And number one is Memento. Lots of lots of great films on that list. You know, I'd, I'd probably have a number of them on my all-time favorite movies list, although I didn't realize until now how many of them take place in Los Angeles. And, you know, a lot of people have seen these movies. They were hugely popular, but if you were avoiding them um, because of the hype and you haven't seen them, you should see them for sure. Absolutely, and I, I guess I'll, I'll let my mom see it, too. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Jen. My pleasure. And good luck with the transmission. Thank you. Man, I love the big Lebowski. You know, sometimes I wonder if Cynthia and Maddie are still here in Hawaii. Uh, but anyway, let's go straight from one sweet lady to another. Earlier this week, I was able to catch up with a good friend of mine, and uh, she's been busy. Well, I am here with the incredible Gail of HawaiiDiner.com, and it's been a while, so I thought I'd check in with her and, uh, well, basically ask you, Gail, what have you been up to? Well, I've been eating a lot. Of course, that's nothing unusual because uh, that's what I do, but uh, we are actually here. Ryan asked me if I had talk about our Burger Wars Summer 2005, a project that we spent four months working on in search of the best cheeseburger in uh, the general Honolulu area. And why did you decide, of all things, with the with all the great cuisines and the wide variety of flavors and uh, nationalities here in Hawaii, why did you tackle cheeseburgers? Well, it started when I got an email from an off-island uh, visitor to the website, and they wanted to know, uh, they wanted a personal recommendation for the best cheeseburger here that wasn't from a national chain and it wasn't expensive. And when I sat down to write the 
answer. I realized I didn't have an answer. I had no idea. So we actually uh, thought about it for a while, and then we decided to do it, and we set a fairly strict criteria, and we went for it. What were some of the qualifications to be a uh, to be considered for Burger Wars? Well, it had to be a traditional cheeseburger. Um, I'm, like W&M is very famous for their Terry burgers, and Chiave, uh Grill has the very smoked ones. But we were looking for a very traditional American cheeseburger. Uh, the only toppings were the basic salad toppings, your lettuce, tomato, onion. Uh, and the price was actually was the real Barrier. delineator between where we could eat and where we couldn't. Because we set the price at $7.50 pre-tax, including fries or some other side. And it was amazing how many good burgers are outside of that range, and they're getting expensive. Definitely. So how many burgers did you end up eating? Dozens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, most of the places we ate at least two or three times, and other places I ate a half a dozen. And then when you combine that with the other people who were helping out, including yourself and a co-worker of yours, my better half. And my better half. And your better half, and uh, also Marianne Schultz there. So there were several of us working, and if, I think if you combined all the burgers all of us ate, we might get into three digits. Wow, that's a lot of burgers. Yeah, a lot of burgers. So um, what were some of the places that you, you checked out? Okay, and I'm not giving this any particular order. It's just as I'm thinking about, okay, there was the Cheeseburger Factory, which is the newest offering from the yummy uh, Korean barbecue chain here. Uh, it could be a chain as long as it was a local chain. Then we also did Teddy's Bur Bigger Burgers, which is another local chain. Um, Kenny's uh, Restaurant and Coffee Shop up in, I guess that's the Kapalama area, right, in the right. Kamehameha Shopping mm -hmm. Center. And Nico's at Pier 38, and he's a Frenchman, but he does a great cheeseburger. Um, let me see, where else did we go? Kua Aina Burger? Kua Aina Burger, yeah. For some reason, that one just keeps slipping my mind. <laughs> Might give you an idea of what I thought of it. Uh, and also Kalia Grill. And is there any other, I'm forgetting here, uh, Like Like Drive-In, how could I forget that? So I, there were a total of eight locations or places that we tried burgers from. Now, when somebody asked, would have asked me, where's a good place to get a burger, I, I'd have to admit, you know, I, I'm part, I was uh, swept into the hype, and I was a big fan of the Kua Aina Burger, particularly the one in Haleiwa on the North Shore, their old location up there. Um, how did they fare? You know, it, I went in there uh, completely prepared to like the place based on all of the hype that has surrounded it for years. I mean, they've expanded into Japan, and they've done very well there. But I ate there three or four times, and every time the buns were stale. How can you do that that many times? I mean, once you can kind of understand it. Right. Um, I also didn't like their fries at all. And the stringy. The uh, stringy, limp ones. <laughs> you, you need a fork if you're going to eat them with ketchup, which is, you know, that's debatable whether you like it or not. People do. Um, but the other thing I didn't like about the Kua burger was they don't season it properly. And it's not that it needs to be salty, but it needs to have some flavor. And there was no seasoning going on there. And I just, I was very underwhelmed by the burger and surprised that it uh, is so well, re well regarded. And it is also the only one that actually came in over the price. Mm -hmm. And that was for their smallest burger. Right, right. But we included it anyway because it That's does have that reputation. It has the reputation. So it was more expensive. And so if you're going to spend that much money, I'd go to Big City Diner. 
or if you really want to spend some money, I go to the Pineapple Room. Mm, they have a really it. great burger. But <laughs> I mean, twelve dollars. Yeah, eat a steak. Well, that is interesting. I mean. Yeah. So, like, you know, a lot of, were there any other surprises overall? Oh, the other place I forgot to mention, New Diners Drive-In on uh, North King Street. Right, that's uh, up in, uh, like, off Waya Camila. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, right there, at, you know, where it switches and becomes half tailing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what is up with that, anyway? Our streets do that. I know, it's one thing I've, it's, it's very intriguing to me. Uh, they're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they're monster half-pounder burger, cheeseburger, is $4.15, and it's really good. So it was the biggest surprise, I would say, because I didn't have any particular expectations, and I actually heard about it at hawaiithreads.com. And it's 24 hours, and that's a big big deal. That's a big deal, because uh, a lot of the places, you can't get a burger. I mean, like my favorite place, it's it's actually a very tight window. You can only get a burger there from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., Monday through Friday. That limits you if you're out at night and you want a burger or if it's early morning. I like cheeseburger for breakfast. All right. So, you know, if you're out, you can get one at uh, a New Diners Drive-In and you'll do well. Yeah, you don't want to keep going to Zippy's all the time. Please, no. Well, uh, what were the top three or what were the finalists that you had? Um, I would say the there were four that were really, really good and three of them were almost identical. And that would be Teddy's Bigger Burger, uh, the New Diners Drive-In, and then Nico's at Pier 38. Those were all very good, and the thing that makes Teddy's outstanding is their French fries are really good. They have by far the best fries of any of the places we tried. Um, Our winning spot doesn't have, well, they do have French fries, but get the potato chips. That sounds bizarre, but do you know how hard it is to find a a fresh-made potato chip anywhere? And you can find it at this place. All right, I love potato chips. Yeah, I do too. And uh, in fact, I'm thinking about going over there to get some right now. <laughs> okay, well, I won't hold you uh, back from that cheeseburger. If you want to know who won Burger Wars 2005, you're going to have to check out hawaiidiner.com. Yes, there's a very nice big photo of the winning burger on the front page. When you open it up, you'll see that burger sitting there. <laughs> so and don't go when you're hungry. Yeah, you'll start craving burgers for sure. Right. All right, well, thanks for updating us there, Gail. You're welcome. And, folks, that's just about all she wrote for this week. Um, I should mention, though, that Gail and I have already made plans to do a lunch chat for the next show, so be sure to tune in for that. And if there's anything else that you'd like to hear on Hawaii Up, then by all means, tell me about it. Um, you know, if uh, if you've got a Hawaiian musician hiding out in your town, or if there are any mysteries or myths about the uh, the islands that you've always wondered about, um, if if you could have uh, three days to spend anywhere in the islands, where would you go, and, and and what would you do? You know, tell me. Call the Hawaii Up listener line at eight zero eight three five six zero one two seven, or send an email or audio file to comments at hawaiiup dot com. You know, I uh, can't say it enough. You know, being heard is one thing, but hearing back from you, uh, making connections with folks all over the world is is really what makes this uh, geeky exercise worthwhile. For links, show notes, and other information about Hawaii Up, visit the site at HawaiiUp.com. If you're into polar bears and, and toy airplanes and 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, you got to check out the transmission at HawaiiUp.com slash lost and if you want to talk story with a colorful bunch of locals you should visit hawaiithreads.com and join the conversation big thanks go out to akamai brain collective for the excellent theme music and 
A huge mahalo to you for listening to the show. Have a fantastic weekend, folks. Uh, Mala Mapono, please take care. And until next time, uh, hui ho. Thank you.